You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome, everyone. It is second round action here in the Throwback League. I'm your host, Josh Lewin. And today, from the Twin Cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota, a battle of two teams who won Epic World Series in epic walk-off fashion. It's the 1991 Twins. They're the four seed taking on the five seed, the 2001 Arizona Diamondbacks. So Gene Larkin meet Luis Gonzalez. Those are the two guys that had the walk-off singles in the respective Game 7s. The Throwback League, if you don't know, we take the World Series winners from 1974 through 2006. We throw in some teams that came close as well, World Series losers. And they go head-to-head in a March Madness-style bracket. Eventually, in early January of 2021, we will finally have a winner. Let us start with the Diamondbacks of 01 here, the road team. Can we get some 01 background music going? Maybe some Incubus? Very nice. Very 2001. A team that had been around since only 1998. Buck Walter had initially been the manager, but uh, his managerial tenure seemed to have a bit of a shelf life. Very rigid, lots of rules. Players were not responding after three years of that kind of thing. So the pendulum swung the other way to get Bob Brenly out of the booth at Fox into the Arizona dugout. Speaking of the booth, one of the best to ever put on a headset joins us now to preview Bob Costas with his memories of that 01 Diamondbacks team who won in the aftermath of 9-11. That 01 postseason was one of the few times that much of America was rooting for the Yankees. In the aftermath of 9-11, everyone could see what these games meant to the people of New York. Plus, as much as people might resent the Yankees, very hard to resent the Joe Torre, Derek Jeter, et al. Yankees. And the series turns out to be remarkable. Uh, The D-backs win the first two games. The Yankees come back and not only win all three middle games at Yankee Stadium, but two of them on last-ditch home runs uh, when it appeared that the Diamondbacks had the game in hand. And then the Yankees take a one-run lead to the bottom of the ninth in Game 7 with Mariano Rivera on the mound. And that inning unravels on them. And if, if it had gone a different way, the infield wouldn't have been in. And that little bloop that Luis Gonzalez hit that for history looks like a ringing line drive. But it's just a little pop that you or I could have caught if we were in the basic uh, defensive alignment. But Derek Jeter had no shot at it. And that was that. All right. Thank you, Bob. And back to Incubus. Here we go. We, uh, we mentioned Bob Brenly taking over as manager. 
180 degrees opposite of the man he replaced, Buck Showalter, known in Arizona for a kind of a Felix Unger-like attention to detail. He insisted rather famously that the A on his player's socks be plainly visible at all times. Brentley didn't care about what was on your socks. On his first day of spring training, first day on the job, Bob Brenly dropped the previous year's team rule book to the floor with a resounding thud, told his players, those are the old rules. The new rules, he read them aloud from a cocktail napkin. Number one, be on time. Number two, get it done. Was not big on things like curfews, for example. He told his players in spring training, if any of you find anything to do after 1 a.m. in Tucson, call the coaches. We will meet you there. Bob Renly had the goat horns fitted and ready to go as of World Series Game 5. A lot of moves backfiring, most notably bringing in Byung-Hyung Kim for a second straight stupendously blown save. But then with the one wild throw from Mariano Rivera, the one bloop single by Luis Gonzalez, the goat horns bound the trash bin, and Bob Renly was toast to the town. Before 2001's Game 7 in that World Series, he said he failed to, to get even an hour's sleep. He watched the sun come up while smoking a cigar. Kind of a reverse Red Auerbach deal. Enjoying the stogie before the big game instead of after. And that 01 World Series was pretty insane. And of course, we mentioned it followed the events of 9-11. And what a boost it would have been for New York City had the Yankees won it. But how can you root against Brenly and Mark Grace and Luis Gonzalez or the Diamondbacks with arguably the two best starting pitchers in the sport as well, Kurt Schilling and Randy Johnson. Schilling will be on the mound in this one, by the way, but Arizona in that 0-1 regular season, 92-70 to take the NL West by two games over the Giants. In the playoffs, they won their NLDS matchup against the Cardinals on a walk-off from Tony Womack. They beat the Braves in five games in the NLCS. Randy Johnson on point all October. He had been that way in the regular season, too, at a 20-strikeout game against the Reds, for example. Three of the last four games of that 0-1 World Series ended with the final swing of the bat. Four of the last five games decided by one run. And it looked like the Yankees had crushed Arizona's spirit winning those games at Yankee Stadium. Late game winning home runs by Derek Jeter and Scott Brocious. Game six back in Phoenix. Well, the Yankees didn't exactly sustain momentum. They were behind 15 to nothing with one out in the fourth inning. So... On to Game 7 and a very compelling storyline. Roger Clemens and Kurt Schilling, the former Red Sox teammates, the teacher against the student, and a matchup of two 20-game winners as well. Schilling had already started two games of the series and pitched his 300th inning of the year on just three days rest. So there they were, toe-to-toe, and after seven innings, a 1-1 tie. Diamondbacks scoring first with a Steve Finley single, a Danny Bautista double. Bautista would be called out at third base, by the way. Yankees came back with an RBI single from Tino Martinez, driving in Jeter. Brindley stayed with Schilling into the eighth, and the move backfired. Soriano, don't know how he hit this ball out, but on an 0-2 pitch, he did hit it out. Schilling struck out Brocious and gave up a single to Dave Justice, left the game down 2-1. And when he came out to take Schilling out, the sounds of the game microphone, we heard what he said on, on the Fox broadcast. He said to Schilling, love you, brother. You're my hero. And we're not going to let that beat us. We're going to get that back and then some. He brought in Miguel Batista to get Jeter out. And then brought back Randy Johnson, who had thrown 104 pitches the night before. But it it proved to be a smart move. Johnson got Chuck Knobloch, a a guy that we'll see here in this throwback league matchup for the Twins later on today. Anyway, with the Yankees ahead 2-1 in the eighth, Joe Torre turned it over to Mariano Rivera, trying for the two-inning save. And he struck out the side in the eighth. He got Gonzalez, Matt Williams, and Bautista. And at that point, his postseason ERA was 0.7. 
Well, Mark Grace led off the ninth inning with a single to center. Rivera, the Aaron throw to second base on the Damian Miller bunt attempt. Jeter, reaching for the ball, got tangled up in the legs of David DeLucci, who was pinch running. And on from there, finally, the uh, the little bloop from Luis Gonzalez, and, and that was that. The Yankees hit just 183 in that seven-game World Series. They were outscored 39-14. to If you count up just the first five innings of those games, it was Arizona 30 and the Yankees 5. Yet it took that bloop from Gonzalez off Rivera to actually get it done. Elsewhere in 2001, Cal Ripken's final big league game, the Mariners had their 116 wins. Barry Bonds broke McGuire's single-season home run record. And more than anything else, of course, baseball's patriotic return after a week's worth of games being postponed due to the terrorist attacks. Pop culture of 01, before 9-11 changed our lives forever. The Enron scandal was the big thing. Bjork wore the goose dress. Uh, Britney Spears danced with a python at the MTV Music Awards. SpongeBob SquarePants was big. Xbox came out. The producers opened on Broadway, Nathan Lane, Matthew Broderick. Friends in ER were on TV. And on the radio, besides this, Mary J. Blige, Alicia Keys, and Destiny's Child. So, without any further delay, let's meet that bootylicious lineup for Bob Renly and these 01 Diamondbacks. They'll lead off with Womack at short, Jay Bell at second, Gonzalez in left, Matt Williams at third. Mark Grace at first base, Reggie Sanders in right, Steve Finley in center, Damian Miller the catcher, and Arubio Durazo will be used as a DH batting at number nine. Okay. The home team. Let's go to 1991 now. Minnesota with a, a cheapskate owner and Carl Polab at least had a, a smart GM and Andy McPhail. And a bit of a disciplinarian manager known as TK, Tom Kelly. The Twins had won the World Series, remember, just four years prior, but this 91 team seemed even stronger than that version. They had a 15-game winning streak during the regular season at one point. Finish up 95 and 67. That was a worst to first turnaround from 1990. They had been 74 and 88 the year before that. And they would have been the first team to go from a last place finish to a World Series if their World Series opponent hadn't joined them in that exact same adventure. That was the story of the 91 Braves as well. An amazing World Series. We'll get to that in a moment. The Twins had signed Mike Pagliarulo from the Yankees as their new third baseman. And there were some more uh, free agent signings that followed. Chili Davis was big. Jack Morris, obviously. There was a, a blockbuster that had happened actually a little bit earlier involving the, the New York Mets. Rick Aguilera and David West and Kevin Tappany, they all came in. They were pivotal in 91. And the ALCS found the Twins up against the Blue Jays, an all-indoors ALCS since the Jays kept the Sky Dome roof closed. The Twins won fairly easily four games to one. Kirby Puckett, the MVP of that series. Then the seven-game nail-biting World Series, the 95-win Twins and the 94-win Braves, Tom Kelly against Bobby Cox, notable for several grueling games, with them decided by one run a lot. There were three games decided in extra innings. One game saw Tom Kelly run out of hitters. The Twins won the first two in Minnesota in front of 55,000 fans. Then in game three, what is really one of the great World Series games of all time. Doesn't get talked about a lot. The Braves outlasting the Twins in 12. Yeah, Scott Erickson, and he's going to be on the mound in this one against Atlanta's late season hero and NLCS MVP Steve Avery. Avery hadn't allowed a run of the Pirates in more than 16 innings in the NLCS. And a misplayed fly ball got the Twins on the board against Avery early. They would get a monstrous Shane Mack home run off Alejandro Pena late 
to tie it back up. And then with all kinds of chess match maneuvering going on between the two skippers, eventually Mark Lemke won it with a base hit. Game four is a classic as well. Another walk-off for Atlanta. Lemke tripling to start the bottom of the ninth inning in the time game and come home on a sack fly by Jerry Willard. Lemke called safe even though the throw from Shane Mack and Wright was there. Lemke tagged by catcher Brian Harper's forearm, but not the actual glove or ball. And as Tim McCarver later narrated the play, an arm's length and elbows width, the subtle difference between out and safe. The win tied the series at two apiece and ensured a return to Minnesota where the Twins just do not lose in the postseason. The Braves destroyed the Twins in game five, 14 to five. So they were up heading back up north and in a classic game six, the game remained tied at 3-3 until the 11th inning. Charlie Liebrandt, the game one starter, sent to the mound to face Kirby Puckett. And he recalled later telling Chili Davis he actually planned to bunt for a base hit. Davis responded, bunt my ass, hit it out, and let's go home. Well, Puckett did exactly that. Into the left center field seats, the dramatic game-winning home run that tied the series at three games apiece. Jack Buck famously called the home run with the line, and we'll see you tomorrow night. That moment captured in a statue of Puckett outside gate 34 at the Twins' new home target field. A statue of Puckett rounding second base, pumping his fists after hitting that dramatic walk-off home run. And the Twins, with a chance to win it in their final at-bat, they uh, let off with a Chili Davis single as we move along here to, uh, to Game 7. Jarvis Brown came on to run for Chili Davis. Harper tried to move him over with a bunt down the first baseline. Mike Stanton misstepped coming to, to play the bunt, so Harper reached, and uh, Stanton had to leave the game. Alejandro Pena had to come on to pitch to Shane Mack, and this was... Uh, not an easy thing to do, but Pena got a ground ball double play from Mack, then an intentional walk to Pagliarulo. He struck out the pinch hitter, Paul Sorrento. The game went into extra innings. Jack Morris back out there for the 10th inning. Never did want out of this game. And leading to one of the more memorable quotes of the 91 series, when they talked to Tom Kelly after the game, talking about Morris's insistence on pitching that 10th inning, Tom Kelly supposedly said, oh, hell, it's only a game. And... <laughs> Jack Morris stayed effective. He retired Blouser and Smith and Pendleton, and that set up the Dan Glad bloop high bounce double to lead off that bottom of the 10th inning. He'd eventually make it to third, where he'd come on in on the fly ball hit by the lefty Gene Larkin. So for the first time since 1962, a game seven ending one to nothing, and for the second time in four years, the Twins had won the World Series, just like the one in 87, the home team winning all seven games. Let's bring all this together, tying it in with some 91 pop culture for you. The Twins rocking the Metrodome. The big movies at the time were Boys in the Hood, Prince of Tides, City Slickers. Love that one. Father of the Bride. That was good. Cape Fear. That was scary. Andrew Dice Clay was having his poetry recited by teenage boys across the land. Kentucky Fried Chicken became just KFC that summer. All the cool kids were listening to Nirvana's Nevermind album. Roseanne and Murphy Brown were on TV with the Home Improvement and Full House. Speaking of full houses, we have one here at the Metrodome as we are set to meet Tom Kelly's lineup. Here we go for the 1991 Minnesota Twins. Chuck Knobloch will lead off at second base. There's Bob Casey, Wooden Tone, the PA man. Chuck Knobloch! Kirby Puckett's in center field. Shane Maxson right. Chili Davis to DH. Kent Herbeck at first. Brian Harper, the catcher, Greg Gagne at short, Dan Gladden in left, and Pags, Mike Pagliarulo, 
is the number nine batter playing third base. Scott Erickson, 20 game winner, the pitcher for Minnesota. Looks like a male model, throws a powerful sinking fastball. He'll eventually log a no-hitter for the Twins before moving on to the Orioles and a handful of other teams. L.A. native, former Arizona Wildcat, 3.180 already this year. Best he'll ever do in a full Major League season. In fact, a couple of years from now, he'll be an 8-19 guy with a 5.19 as opposed to 20-8 with a 3.18. Tony Womack is in and waiting on him. Left-hand batter, the Diamondback shortstop. And at 31, he's the youngest member of this lineup tonight. Everyone for Arizona in their 30s in this veteran lineup. And remember, there are two stud pitchers, Schilling and Johnson. They're 34 and 37, respectively, too. Their closer is 22 years old, but everyone else, not so much. Here's the first pitch of the ball game. It is high for ball one. Tony Womack this year, 266 batter, three homers, 30 runs batted in. Diamondbacks in their black jersey tops with the turquoise and purple trim, gray pants. Twins in the home whites with the pinstripes, the big red letters spelling out twins across the front. Pitchers fouled right there at the plate. It's one and one to Womack. Up the middle for the Twins, Knobloch at second, Gagne at short, Pagliarulo at third, Ken Herbeck at first. He is close to the line right now. Kirby Puckett's in center, flanked by Mack in right, Gladden in left. Brian Harper does the catching. 1-1 pitch sailing high, 2-1 to Womack. Here at the Hubert H. Humphrey Metrodome. The fiberglass fabric roof, self-supported by air pressure. The third major sports facility to have that feature. Pontiac Silver Dome up by Detroit and the Carrier Dome in Syracuse, the other. 2-1 is in for a strike now. Two balls, two strikes. Now you look out to the outfield. The seat back and bottom where Kirby Puckett's World Series Game 6 walk-off homer landed. Section 101, row 5, seat 27. That's actually now in the Twins' archives, along with the gold-colored back and bottom that replaced the blue for a number of years. Pitchers fouled to the right side. Still, two balls, two strikes. Now the Metrodome regarded as a hitter's park for sure. Got that low seven-foot fence in left. 343 feet to left. But this place favors lefties and righties, really. Obviously, it's a, a higher position with that baggy in right. We'll talk more about that later. At least there's air conditioning here now. Before 1983, the Dome had been nicknamed the Sweatbox before they had the AC going. Pitch on the way, it's high, three and two. So a full count, no score, just getting going. Left field wall with that six foot clear plexiglass screen, taking it up to 13 feet. And it was off that plexiglass that Kirby Puckett jumped to rob Ron Gant of an extra base hit during game six of the 91 series. Same game where Puckett would win it with the home run. Later years, though, with the plexiglass removed, you can see where maybe that would have been a potential series-changing home run ball. And not a play for Puckett to make. Pitch to Womack. Chopped on the ground near first base. No problem for Kent Herbeck. Good defensive player. Wanders over to the bag. Touches up one out. And that'll bring Jay Bell to the plate now. 248 batter, 13 home runs. Jay Bell now managing in double-A ball. The Rocket City Trash Pandas in Huntsville, Alabama. 
Originally a first-round pick of these twins in 84, traded to Cleveland as part of the deal that brought Burt Blylevin to Minneapolis. Erickson's pitch to Bell. He is cranked up the middle. That's a base hit. Jay Bell takes a wide turn, comes scrambling back as it's played back in. Now skipping right along that spongy artificial surface, Jay Bell gets to single. And here's Luis Gonzalez, left-hand batter, having an unreal season. 325 hitter, 57 home runs, 142 batted in. Gonzo, as he's called, takes a strike. It's nothing in one. Luis Gonzalez formerly with Houston, the Cubs, Houston again, and the Tigers before his major breakthrough in Phoenix. Eventually the Dodgers and the Marlins as well. About 2,600 big league hits, around the same amount as Bill Buckner and Tim Raines, more than Ernie Banks. About 600 more than Twins legend Harmon Killebrew. As the pitch fades outside, it's one and one. Harmon Killebrew, though, was a consistent home run hitter. Good for 30 or 40 a year every year. Gonzalez, more of a flash in the pan. Leading up to this 0-1 season, the season of the 57 homers, 15 of them, 10, 23, 26, 57 this year, and then 28, 26, and 17. One on, here's the pitch. Swing high fly ball towards that baggy and right. Back near the warning track, but it will not get out. That'll be caught. That is Shane Mack, who's got it. And Bell's got to go back to first. That baggy in right field. It's a seven-foot-high fence around most of the outfield, but the 16-foot-high plastic wall extends over that. The hefty bag. A very enticing target out there. Two down. Here's Matt Williams, 275 batter. Limited this year, only played 106 games, but he still hit 16 home runs. Williams known as the Big Marine. Future big league manager, but this year just a rock-solid third baseman who hit 275. He used to come in with uh, the Cleveland Indians a couple times a year. Hitting in a lineup with guys like Tommy and Bell and Murray around him. Taking, and it's low, it's 1-0. Mark Grace waiting on deck. Well, they got some nice righty-lefty alternating pop in this lineup. Bell the lead from first. And the pitch to Matt Williams. Bounced near the line at third base, but there's Pagliarulo. He'll set. He'll fire across Diamond to get him, and the inning is over. Nothing doing for the 0-1 Diamondbacks in the top of the first. Let's keep it here in 2001 and pause for this. Howie, what's a good gift to get for somebody you really care about? Football tickets. No, no, no. Something you get more use out of. Season tickets. Something from the heart. Luxury suite. Oh, no. Track phone prepaid wireless from Radio Shack is a great Valentine's Day gift. Of course, give them track phone. And football tickets. It's pay-as-you-go, so there's no contract or monthly bill. And after a $30 mail-in rebate from TrackPhone, a Nokia 252 is just $19.99. Radio Shack. Well, back here getting set for the bottom of the first inning. Never did get to Mark Grace in that top of the first inning. He withered in that on-deck circle. We can hear from him now, though. Mark Grace's recollections of the 2001 team managed by Bob Renly. Well, uh, I never played for Buck. I, uh, I, Bob Brindley was my first manager and that was 01. Uh, I had heard the stories, you know, from, 
Luis Gonzalez and Steve Finley and Matt Williams and Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling. And, you know, it, it was interesting because a lot of people enjoyed playing for Buck, and there were some guys that didn't. And, uh, and you know, they all had various reasons. But, uh, but you know, Bob took over. There was a lot of rules under Buck, and uh, Bob, Bob pretty much uh, – yeah, one of his favorite things I ever saw him do, he goes, I've got my rules here. And he, he whipped out a cocktail nap, and that was his list of rules. Be on time and bust your ass. Those were the those were his rules. So, uh, But I just knew after 13 years with the Cubs and playing on quite a few bad teams, I looked around that room, and after, after spring training was over and we drove up uh, from Tucson to Phoenix, I had a pretty good idea that this team was going to be special. Now, did I know, think we were going to win the World Series? I don't know if that's hard to predict, but I knew for a fact that uh, there was a there was a very good baseball player at every single position, offensively and defensively, and then of course uh, the two big boys on the mound, Randy Johnson, Kurt Schilling. Uh, it was it was a uh, it was a fun team to be a part of. A couple things that if you never watched him play, you might have missed about Mark Grace. Among the best at checking his swing, never saw anybody better, rarely breaking his wrists, and he'll freeze that bat to give the umpires a great look. He was a wonderful hit-and-run man. I think he and Craig Biggio and Tony Gwynn were always the best at that in that era. Very smart hitter. I know people thought Mark Grace was a goofball, but he studies the way the pitchers will work them. They'll adjust to their patterns. If you throw them at the same set of pitches twice in one game, you are asking for trouble. One of the best two-strike hitters in the game, again, Gwynn. Knobloch in this game was always great at that, too. A guy like Jim Eisenreich, great two-strike hitter from that era. Anyway, just wanted to shout out Mark Grace real quick. As we get to what's happening on the mound now, in the bottom of the first inning, no score. On the mound is Kurt Schilling for Arizona, 22-6, 2.98 ERA in 01. Arguably not even the best pitcher on his own team. Randy Johnson, 21-6, 2.49, with 372 strikeouts to Schilling's 293. But what's chilling about Schilling, with those nearly 300 strikeouts, not even 40 walks, and what a long way he's come since being an underachiever in his early career with Baltimore and Houston. He took off as a, a Philly, helping them to a World Series in the early 90s. Never did win more than 17 games for them, but here in Arizona, first two years, 22 and 23, and will follow with 21 more in 04. Controversial till the end. Heck of a quote machine. Terrific competitor. This year World Series MVP with a 169 ERA and his three starts against the Yankees. In fact, his teams won nine of their last ten playoff starts that he made in his career. That includes in 04 and 07 with the Red Sox, Bloody Sock and all. Chilling with those broad shoulders and blonde hair. Set to face Chuck Knobloch. 281 a hitter with only one home run this year, but 50 runs batted in. Texas A&M product, four-time All-Star, four-time World Series champion. Eyeballs a strike, it's nothing in one. Knobloch won the AL Rookie of the Year in 91. And in Game 7 of the World Series, he's the guy that tried to deceive Lonnie Smith on the bases by faking starting a double play. Lonnie Smith claimed he, he lost track of the ball, that Knobloch's decoy was not a factor, but either way, a huge play in that game. Pitch sailing up high. It's one and one. You go forward here from 1991. 
Look at Knobloch in the mid-90s. Hit 312, 333, 341. And stole more than 40 bases those three straight years. 94, 95, 96. Two of those three years, those were strike shortened. Next one from Schilling lobbed in for a strike. Catches that outside corner off speed, one and two. Knobloch eventually traded to the Yankees. Eric Milton in that deal, Christian Guzman in that deal. Knobloch, a very popular player in Minnesota now, but when he requested being traded from the Twins, every time he came back to town, he'd get booed very lustily. Right now they love him. And the pitch. Swing, base hit, center field. They're loving him some more as he pegs one past Schilling over second base on into the outfield. So Knobloch, who can run a little bit, he had 25 steals this year. He's on for Kirby Puckett, the very popular center fielder, short and stocky. Twins all-time leader in career hits, runs, total bases. And when he retires, a 318 batting average, that'll be the highest by any right-handed American League hitter since Joe DiMaggio. Not blocked the lead from first and Schilling in with the pitch. It's a strike, knee high to Puckett. Kirby made his big league debut in 1984, going four for five with a home run in his first game, and he hardly slowed down from there. Ten-time All-Star. Six-time Gold Glover, eventual easy pick for the Hall of Fame. And he takes one and slides outside, one and one. You know, as great as Puckett and the Twins were in 91, the Twins did not make it back to the postseason during the rest of Puckett's career. Puckett switching to right field in 94. That's when he won his first RBI title. 112 runs batted in in 108 games. Was having another great season in 95, but had his jaw broken by a Dennis Martinez fastball. Kicking the pitch from Schilling. Fly ball chipped in right. Not too deep. That'll be handled out there. Reggie Sanders camps, makes the play. But it looked like he wasn't fully comfortable. You've got that uh, vanilla sky up overhead. Very tough to see the ball here at the Metrodome. One on, one out here is Shane Mack. 310 hitter. 18 homers this year. And he'll end his major league career hitting 299. That's a higher batting average of Barry Bonds, Mickey Mantle, Jim Rice. Shane Mack did that. But only nine big league seasons for Mack. L.A. native who broke in with the Padres in 87. Only 80 career regular season home runs. So not even nine a year on average. Not in the playoffs. And in fact in the 91 World Series he went just three for 23 at the plate. Schilling delivers and a cut fastball in for a strike. Nothing in one. Shane Mack, right-hand batter, former UCLA star. Actually taken number 11 overall in 1984. One pick after the A's took Mark McGuire out of USC. The Padres took Mack from UCLA. A kid named Sean Abner went number one that year to the Mets. Oops. Jay Bell, who batted in the top of this uh, first inning for Arizona. We mentioned he was the eighth pick in that 84 draft by these Minnesota Twins. Here's a pitch coming. Swing the ground ball towards short. Going to be a tough play. It's backhanded in the hole. No play at all for Tony Womack. He'll just put it in his pocket. It's going to be two on now. 
Well, Shane Mack makes it two on with just one out. No score for now. And Chili Davis, a switch hitter on approach. No one else with more than 79 strikeouts on this Twins roster. Davis has 117, but he's got 34 doubles. He's got 29 home runs. Batting left-handed, shilling a check of the runners off first and second. And the pitch is tipped foul down the third baseline, nothing in one. The twig, Wayne Trewelliger, third base coach, watching it go by. But at the plate, Charles Theodore Davis of Jamaican descent, moved to L.A. when he was 10 years old. Broke into the big leagues with the Giants and Angels, keeping it reasonably local. Chilling with a new baseball, he's ready. As a sign from his catcher, Damian Miller, and deals. It is high with a fastball 2-1. and one. And being a designated hitter seems to agree with Chili Davis here as a twin. His defense wasn't so great with the Angels. Back issues had a lot to do with that. But just DHing here in Minnesota this year, and he led the team in home runs and runs batted in and doubles and walks. Knoblock, a good secondary lead off that bag at second. Rock on the rubber, here it comes. Swing and a bouncing ball, base hit in a right field. Knoblock coming around third. The throw will be cut off. It is a 1-0 lead. The Minnesota Twins jump on top. And it's still two on, just one out. Kent Herbeck about to bat. Now Chili Davis found himself a pass ball on the inside part of the plate. And he swatted it into right field. So a 1-0 lead for the 91 Twins. And now the left-handed hitting Herbeck. 284 batter, 20 home runs. And for a slugging first baseman, he puts it in play. Only 48 strikeouts this year to 64 walks. Big number 14, native Minnesotan. So a very popular player around these parts. 14 years as a twin for number 14. And he takes at the knees from Schilling, nothing in one. Well, ten years back, Herbeck made his big league debut, August 24 of 81 at Yankee Stadium. He had a game-winning homer in the 12th inning off Yankees reliever and future twin George Frazier. Next one in from Schilling. That rides high. It's one and one. Oh, Herbeck, after that cup of coffee at the end of the 81 season, made the team out of spring training, kind of came into his own in 82, playing for Billy Gardner at the time. His rookie season, 301 batting average, 92 runs batted in, but did not win rookie of the year. That went to Cal Ripken Jr. Though Herbeck would go to his only All-Star game, as it turned out. Twins finished that season 60 and 102. But that's when Herbeck broke in, it's when Tim Laudner broke in, Gary Gaetti, Tom Bernanski, Randy Bush, Frank Viola, a lot of the guys that would make up the nucleus of the 87 World Series team from Minnesota. Two on, one out to Herbeck. And now the pitch. Laced in a right field base hit. Mack coming around. And he will score. Two to nothing, Minnesota here in the first inning. Now Kurt Schilling getting hit pretty hard right now. Throwing a lot of strikes, but the Twins, they make good contact. 
First and second, still just one out. And another high average player batting. Here's Brian Harper, the catcher. 311 this year. And that's not a mirage. Career batting average for him, 296. Same as Duke Snyder, Juan Gonzalez, Keith Hernandez, David Wright. And a catcher we'll see in next week's throwback league game, Manny Sanguian of the Pirates, a career 296 hitter as well. Two to nothing, Minnesota. And the pitch, very high to Harper, 1-0. Boy, Schilling, just not himself right now. He'll go to the back of the mound. Schilling, having led the Phillies to the World Series in 93. Championship guy, of course, for Arizona in 01. Then the Red Sox in 04 and 07. 11-2 is career postseason record. That's a winning percentage of 846. That's the best of anybody with at least 10 decisions who's ever pitched in the playoffs. Next pitch to Harper, a fastball roars in for a strike, one and one. Schilling, a member of the 3,000 strikeout club, has the highest strikeout to walk ratio of any of those members. During the prime of his career, boy, he could get it up there and sustain it, 96 to 98. And always wanted to go deep into a ball game. Routinely pitching past the sixth and seventh. He delivers high now to Harper, two and one. Normally with the endurance, he also had that pinpoint control, especially on the fastball. The out pitch, the, the split finger fastball. And he's got a pretty good changeup, decent slider, very occasional curveball, but mostly fastball and split. Next pitch, there's a splitter, a swing and a miss. Two balls, two strikes now to Harper. With two on, two men already in. Kurt Schilling, not the easiest guy to get along with all the time. He's got a long-standing feud with a lot of people, but at the head of the list here in 01, ESPN and former Arizona Republic reporter Pedro Gomez, who came out with a column critical of Schilling the same day Schilling was pitching in Game 7, of the 01 World Series. In that column, Gomez wrote, during the past few days, the country has discovered Schilling's little secret, the one baseball insiders have known for years, but has rarely surfaced into the mainstream. Schilling is something of a con man, someone more intent on polishing his personal image through whatever means possible. Later in that article, yeah, Pedro Gomez saying Schilling was, quote, the consummate table for one. Here's a 2-2 pitch. Swing and a pop-up near shortstop. And again, for road teams, never easy here, but Tony Womack gliding back. With the infield fly rule in effect, he puts it away. Two down. That'll bring, uh, bring Greg Gagne to the plate, 265 batter. He's got eight home runs, 42 runs batted in. Certainly no controversies at all regarding Gagne. You never see a bad column about Gagne. Very popular player here in Minneapolis, St. Paul. And a guy who once hit two inside the park home runs in a single game here at the Metrodome. Fall River, Massachusetts native, known mostly for his defense. He takes a strike on the outside corner, nothing in one. Gagne this year hit a game-winning three-run homer in game one of the World Series off Charlie Liebrandt. 
And even though Gagne would hit only 213 during the Twins' two postseason drives, he had some big hits. He had five doubles. He had four home runs. Scored 12 times. Two on, two out, two in. And the pitch on the way. Swing and it's popped in a shallow right. Going to be a tough play. Sanders there. Finley there. And the ball drops. Two runs are going to score. Ball takes a high hop on the artificial surface here. Into second base is Gagne. Four to nothing Minnesota. And that's got to be one where the ball was simply lost in that tapioca sky up there. Finley's a tremendous center fielder. He got a late look at it. And I think Sanders never saw it. Jay Bell went wandering back there too, but the ball just dropped in between three fielders, took a high hop. So now a runner at second, still two men out, and a very visibly frustrated Kurt Schilling's got to dig in and go get Dan Gladden. It will be scored a double, but boy, that, that's a Metrodome keeper right there for the Twins. Gladden, 247 batter, six home runs, only 14 doubles, but nine triples to lead the team. And over the next several seasons, you know, the players that made up the core of the World Series twins of 87 and 91, they'll slowly start to leave. Dan Gladden to Detroit. Jack Morris will sign with Toronto. Greg Gagne and Chili Davis left after 92. Brian Harper leaving at the end of 93. Pitch to Gladden. Rockets in for a strike. There's 97 on the gun from Schilling. It's nothing in one. Of course, Ken Herbeck's production would begin to fall off. Injuries keeping him off the field a lot. Erickson and Tappany never regained their 91 form. Kirby Puckett had to retire. Loss of vision in that right eye caused by glaucoma. Knobloch, the last hitter of the 91 team to remain in Minnesota, but we mentioned eventually forced his way to New York. Schilling's next pitch is swung on a miss. It's nothing in two. Hey, look at Rick Aguilera. After being traded to the playoff-bound Red Sox in 95, he'd come back to the Twins in 96 and actually start a little bit. He stayed through the 99 season, then traded away to the Cubs. Four to nothing Minnesota in the bottom of the first, and the pitch to Gladden is chipped in the air towards left. That will be taken care of. Luis Gonzalez right there. He finds it and puts it away, and that retires the side. But four runs in, 4 nothing Minnesota at the end of one. We pause for this from here in 1991. People are pouring into Pizza Hut for a great new lunch deal. Because right now you can sit down and enjoy a pepperoni personal pan pizza for just $1.29. And a supreme personal pan pizza for just $1.79. Or carry them out for the same great low price. Either way, you get the Pizza Hut pizza you love. Plus, you'll get them in five minutes or your next one's free. Now, you could go somewhere else, but with a deal like this at Pizza Hut, why would you? Pizza Hut, making it great. As for something you can get into right now, here in 2020, may we suggest you try our good friends at Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf, the best, most perfectly blended coffee on either coast of the great USA. Since 1963, the Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf has been bringing you the finest coffees and teas from around the world with responsibly sourced ingredients, handcrafted coffees and teas, the Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf, an experience like no other. Now available for a limited time, try their new Horchata Cold Brew Coffee or world-famous Ice Blended. 
A 4-0 game at the end of one. we got to zip ahead to further action here. Not a lot more action in this game, to be totally honest with you. But here's what we can share in this one between Schilling and Erickson. You had a little bit of a comeback in the top of the second, at least, as Arizona got it back with a Mark Grace triple of all things. Sanders and Finley both retired, and it looked like uh, maybe Mark Grace would wither on the vine there. But Damian Miller doubled to the gap in left center, cut it to 4-1. Arubiel Durazo at the bottom of the order singled in Miller. That made it 4-2. to two. But from there, things really quieted down. In fact, those will be the last runs scored in the game for the 0-1 Arizona Diamondbacks. Twins able to add to their lead in the bottom of the fourth inning and get one more in the bottom of the fifth. In the fourth, it was a Mike Pagliarulo RBI single. That made it 5-2. to two. A double from Dan Gladden for the RBI in the bottom of the fifth. That made it 6-2. to two. And that would end up being your final. Kurt Schilling gives up all six runs. Erickson went eight and a third for the win for Minnesota. Seven hits allowed, just one walk, and five strikeouts. Minnesota's pitcher's always so good about walking very few. Rick Aguilera came on, had to lock it up in the ninth inning. He did get a pretty easy save out of it. And indeed, it was a score to save because he came in with a couple men on base. But uh, a 6-2 final, six runs on 13 hits, one error for the winning Twins. 2-7-0 for the 0-1 Diamondbacks, who are, alas, eliminated from our competition. If you'd like to check the box score of this one or any of the games from the Throwback League, the website, very easy to find, thethrowbackleague.com. We would send you there to look at the brackets as well. Where you'll see that our next matchup, we got the We Are Family Pittsburgh Pirates. Finally get some Pirates action in here. The 79 Pirates taking on the 86 Red Sox. They're a 12 seed because they were a World Series loser, even though that was a very good, very fun team. For the 4 seed, Willie Stargell and those 79 Pirates, they will be at home at Three Rivers Stadium. That's the next time here on the Throwback League. Josh Lewin with you. Thanking you once again for your time. You can follow us on Twitter. We are at the Throwback LG, short for league. One more time, the final in this one today from the Homer Dome in Minneapolis. It was a 91 twin six, the 01 Diamondbacks two. From everyone here at the Throwback League, which is just me, bye-bye.